And we are live with Joel, the Hitman Heart. No, I'm just kidding. You remember, remember Brett, the Hitman Heart from WWF? Did totally. you ever watch that? I never watched that, but I know who that is. That's so funny. I've never, I've never actually called you Joel, the Hitman Heart. It just came out right now, kind of spontaneously. <laughs> <laughs> What's going on, man? Not much, man. It's the latest. Studying uh, machine learning and programming right. again, and kind of enjoying it. Right, that's your next. That's your next thing here. Post uh, post acquisition, um, we'll see. <laughs> you're diving into the AI world, right? Yeah, so far that's the direction I'm headed. Yeah, nice, nice. Um, yeah, a lot of uh, you know, obviously, there's been a lot of acquisitions and stuff like that. And I was talking to. Uh, um, Isaiah Bollinger about that. He has an agency called Trellis and we were talking recently about all the acquisitions and stuff. And, um, you know, it's, it's interesting. I have to say though, so I'm a little biased cause obviously I helped you with a little bit of hiring, a tiny bit of hiring for media type, but, um, man, you got, you had, you really created a killer, um, team culture for, you know, your dev team. I have to say. Um, so that, I think we did. I mean, we, we worked really hard at it. (laughs) Yeah. 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 Um, yeah, I can imagine. I'm like, I remember, uh, talking to you once at like, at, at, uh, it was a pre-imagined party and you're like, Hey man, I I need to do some hiring. (laughs) And like, I didn't know you at the, at that well at the time, but we ended up doing quite a bit, but, um, but yeah, man, you know, it's, uh, a lot of the developers I talked to that I, that I referred to you and stuff like that, I was just impressed by how happy they were, um, with, you know, the, the team culture and the work and stuff like that. And, um, you know, yeah, how did we, you, how did you do together, it? What's the secret? I think we put together, you know, really good systems and workflows and, uh, just really encouraged a lot of, uh, interactions and practices that we found useful for, Team advancement, you know, skill development, people having yeah. a culture, even though they're working remote. You know, I started off kind of building the whole system so I could work remote because, uh, mm-hmm. you know, the people I loved were like 2,000 miles away and that way I could spend more time with them. Yeah. And, you know, that kind of transformed and evolved over the years and uh, really supported a distributed team well. Yeah. Yeah. And yeah. it seems like you built towards it for a long time. Like you were like, you would, you would tell me you were kind of under the radar for quite a few years with not a huge team. And then you kind of ramped up quickly. Yeah. Um, you know, I think we tried to scale a couple different times and, you know, things were going on that just made it challenging every now and then you have a hard project or right. something's going on. Uh, but right. yeah, I mean, we, we really dialed in the process and systems and then we're able to scale. Yeah. Yeah. And I feel like, I'm sure the processes are a big part of it too, but I feel like you personally just being a developer yourself, like you understand how to, like you understand the mentality, what, what a developer is going, what they're looking for. Like, I mean, there's a lot of agency owners that, that were developers in the past, but I don't know. I just feel like you kind of uniquely like understood what, you know your team needed and wanted and how to, how to keep people happy and stuff, you know? Thanks. Yeah. I, I definitely did a lot of development. I think it was like north of 50,000 hours on Magento projects over 12 years. <laughs> <That's> 
um, you know, the early days, every project had a deadline and you just worked in the evenings, you worked on the weekend and did whatever yeah. you could to get it done. <laughs> yeah. 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 It's yeah. Really... It's interesting it's... to see, you know, everything going on in the magenta space today. It seems, seems like it's maturing and growing up and, you know, people are working yeah. on bigger projects. There's, um, lack of clarity with the direction. It's a really interesting thing to watch it kind of unfold over the years. Yeah. Yeah. It's a wild, it's wild times. I think they just had the Magento Association Connect event. I think yesterday or today. I, I haven't watched. I've seen some tweets from it, but you didn't go I, to that. Um, I didn't, I didn't go. I, I can't do these virtual events, man. I, I, I yeah. just, I just can't, I, I just can't get into these virtual events, you know? I like the real, I like, <laughs> I like the real, real world events, um, or the one-on-ones like the, the, the one-on-one, uh, podcast thing, you know, even though the remote kind of works for me, um, cause you know, you can just kind of get into a direct conversation. Like to me, it's the closest thing to like an in-person conversation. Um, right. But like, yeah, I don't know. Hopefully in-person is coming back now that the pandemic's, you know, gone on for a while. Right. 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 Um, so you're in, uh, do you want to share your locate where, you, where you're located right now? Or is that a, is um, that a ste- I'm out stealth? I'm Hawaii. Mode? Yeah. <laughs> yes. Like over, over the last, you know, I don't know, 15 to 20 years, I've really enjoyed working from uh, Maui and Kauai and spending time out here. It's a, like Very. a really good, healthy thing for somebody that spends a lot of time in front of a computer. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I got to give you props, man, because you you inspired me to learn to surf. Um, you were you were you know you were out in Hawaii. Tell me about how you were surfing and stuff. And then I was like, man, I got to do that. I probably would have gone to Hawaii, but uh, but at the time um, there was uh, you know the quarantine, um, so I ended up going to Costa Rica. But um, but yeah, yeah. man. It, it's been a fun activity to pick up and, you know, try to get beginner at. <laughs> Isn't it crazy, like, how brutal the learning curve is? It's just like... Totally. So and, I mean, everywhere is so different, man. I tried um, surfing with my cousin's family out in Maryland, and those waves come in so quick and just crash okay. right over you. And it was after a storm day, so, I mean, they weren't the best waves to begin with. But I yeah. felt like I just got my butt kicked, dude, versus, you know, some <laughs> yeah. of the gentle waves that I learned on out here. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And I think Costa Rica is, is one of the gentler, uh, more beginner-friendly places. I mean, a lot of places in Hawaii that, that people would talk about as being really intense. Like, I guess, North Shore totally. in particular. I'm sure it varies by time of yeah, year. Yeah, I mean, there's there's some beginner areas, but I think Costa Rica is way more user-friendly. <laughs> yeah, I think so. I think so. Yeah. Nice. I had a buddy just go down to Peru and surf uh, the longest wave in the world, dude. It's like... It, no way. It left, left breaks for 700 yards. You can ride <laughs> it for over a minute. That's, dude, <laughs> these... there. Okay, so there was these guys from Alaska in, um, in, the, in the surfing group in Costa Rica, and they told me there's a wave in Alaska that you can ride for 30 minutes. No it's way. Like, there's like this one, be- this one break and there's only two waves per day. And you can ride that sucker for a full half hour. It's, it's like so crazy. Wow. You must, yeah, I mean, full wetsuit. It's got to be cold water. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> 
they were describing it to me, the stuff they would do out there. It was, it was nuts. I mean, you don't think of Alaska as a surfing spot, but they got, they just got, you know, they got everything out there. It's so big, but, um, cool. What's this, what's the spot in Peru called? Uh, I couldn't tell you off the top of my head. Yeah. I'd have to look it up. Yeah. Not Machu Picchu. No. Um, Yeah. Nice, man. So, um, so should we get into some of the AI stuff that you're, that you've been looking into and yeah, what do you want to talk about, man? This is your show, (laughs) whatever you want to talk about. That's a good question, dude. Um, I really enjoyed some of your recent podcasts, uh, especially, you know, talking about developer happiness as a KPI. I think we found that to be, uh, you know, the glue of culture. Yeah. Um, we've all worked in different systems and processes and methods. And I think we found that when you can make things efficient for the people that, you know, have to lay bricks and swing axes in the trenches, yeah, uh, but still get the, you know, the management and macros out of it that you need. It, it was a lot easier to deliver to our customers. Yeah. Oh, yeah. dude. I mean, I'm telling you, like, I, I, I think I ended up replacing 32 developers with you or some some crazy number and i'm telling you man almost every single time be like hey how's how's the new job going they'd be like i love it it's great i love the you know the team i'm with i can learn from i I, you know it's challenging there's no you know there's not a lot of the bureaucracy blah 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 and um yeah man that's that's um it's it's hard to create that it's hard to find that sweet spot you know it's it's Cause it's hard to run an agency, right? Like it's like you have, you know, it's a tough <laughs> business. It is. It's uh, there's a lot of demand, a lot of expectations, uh, a lot of software development, you know, not a lot of people have that much experience with high level software development. Yeah. Um, yeah. It, it's hard. And I <laughs> it's think, very you know, hard. we, we really encourage pair programming. The common piece of feedback that I heard from multiple people was that they learned and grew, you know, much faster, I think, working with our team than they had at other experiences they'd had in their right. career. Right. That was exactly. really, really cool. I felt really proud of that. Yeah, man. Um, yeah. How did you structure the pair programming in general? Well, I think as a developer, you know, over the years, I've seen people rack their heads against walls for like, you know, three to five days only to figure out that they've got, you know, a one line code bug somewhere in the system that they built or somewhere under the hood. Yeah. And we just kind of had a rule of thumb, you know, if you were stuck for 15 to 30 minutes, you know, reach out and ask somebody to pair program with you and get a fresh set of eyes on it. And we found that that just, you know, plowed through blockers and kept momentum pretty, pretty smoothly and gave, gave our people a chance to teach each other. Mm-hmm. That's a really simple rule of thumb, man. I, and I, and I, I don't think we'd ever talked about that specifically before. Like that's, that's cool. That's such a, um, that's such a simple and 15 to 30 minutes is relatively short. I mean, you know, totally. cause you could, you know, like you could be stuck on something for two hours, pretty, pretty routinely. So, um, like that almost seems, that seems shorter than I'd imagine, you know, like 15 to 30 minutes. To, yeah. To I'm sure out. some people, you know, went a little further before asking for help, but that was, <laughs> yeah. that was the drum we beat. <laughs> yeah. That's cool. That's no, that's, it's, it's, it's cool. Cause it's almost like, I think the problem as a developer is that, you know, you don't, um, there's a, 
there can be like an ego. I mean, we all have egos, but like you don't want to feel like stupid compared to your, your, your coworkers. Like there's this very, like, like there's a lot of, um, self-consciousness and there's, there's a, um, I don't know what it is exactly, but I've seen it so many times, just like you're saying, like on the totally. other teams I was on, where there's just this bias that we have as developers to to not want to ask for help. I mean, everybody has that, that they don't want to ask for help, but there's something very specific about working as a developer where you will just go for, and then it's like the deeper you get, the less you want to, the less you want to ask for help. And then you're totally. just like, yeah, it's a, it's a, it's a messed up dynamic. Totally. Yeah. yeah. It'll, it'll be interesting to see, you know, what the developer ecosystem is like, I think for Adobe commerce as they transition into their next phase. Yeah. What, what do you, how, what do you see as the next, like, what does the next phase mean to you? Well, I mean, I think, you know, we've watched it for years, right? Where Adobe kind of acquired Magento. They've got a huge set of business. They need commerce as a SKU in their platform. Uh, they really want to enable their customers to scale uh, to, mm-hmm. you know, to a level that a large, large brand, you know, really needs to support their operations. So I think, you know, they'll probably continue to move things towards their microservices platform and, you know, improve Adobe Cloud and just kind of go in that direction. So, you know, long-term, you know, open source, I think is really powerful, but, Mm. you know, they're going to move their clients who are massive onto this commerce platform in a really positive and meaningful way. And I think it chews up, you know, a lot of available developer resources, agency resources and engagements and, and just kind of moves up market. Right. Yeah. So, you know, like any technology adoption as complexity grows, something simpler tends to come out to serve the SMBs or kind of startups or new players. And, um, mm. you know, you, you see big systems move on to enterprise level stuff and, you know, new stuff come out. So it's, yeah. it's a lot of really fun stuff to watch. Yeah. It's kind of the natural progression. Totally. Um, yeah. Yeah. I, I saw some, um, uh, some, some tweets with some screenshots from some slides that, um, that they that they had up, I think, for this Magento Association Connect event, and it was pretty cool. They had a pretty direct kind of mea culpa on the whole open source thing, where they explained some of the reasons why things had been kind of stalled up, um, which I thought was cool to see them be so kind of direct about it. Um, but yeah, it's it's weird. Like when I take a step back and go like Adobe Experience Cloud having something open source. It just, it feels like kind of outside of the box for them. Like it just feels, I don't know. It's, I, I just kind of go like, where is this going to fit in long-term? I, I don't know. I, I, yeah, I can be I mean, a little overly pet. Yeah, sorry, go ahead. It, no, I mean, it's got like, you know, quite quite a few years ahead of it still before there's any major transition away from, you know, code yeah. in developers' hands. But, you know, it could go that direction one day. <laughs> Good. Do you like these uh, AirPods? It's the first time I've used them for a call. <laughs> oh, really? Yeah, they're um, yeah. they're pretty good. They're uh, you know, it's funny. Yesterday, actually, they they were out of batteries, so um, I didn't use them, and it was kind of nice, actually. Um, 
because like they just feel like a little little funny like when you're talking you kind of hear yourself in a little bit of a weird way but um, yeah do you have the new ones with the spatial audio yes yes yeah i i tested out the spatial audio once on like i found some some song or something because it has to there has to be a specific like song or audio that's um that's like designed with spatial audio for it to work right yeah 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 i think i listened to one song or something and i was like oh that's cool and then i you know i think most of the songs i listen to don't have it but are you are you rocking out a lot to the spatial audio or uh, sometimes when I work out, I just got these like a few days ago. <laughs> oh, nice. Okay. Nice. Yeah, 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 yeah. Nice. Yeah. No, they're, they're pretty fun. Yeah. Um, yeah, it's cool. Yeah. Yeah. I've had these for a little while, but they're pretty cool. Like the noise canceling and stuff is really cool. Um, yeah. It's a step up for earbuds. It's cool. Oh yeah. No, it's nuts. It's nuts. I remember when I first put them on and turned on the noise canceling and it's like, all the volume outs in the outside world just goes vroom. <laughs> it's like, <laughs> it's pretty crazy. Yeah. Um, yeah. yeah we we just talk about some of the AI stuff if you want. Sure. Yeah. Yeah. I actually, this isn't exactly directly AI related, but last night I was hanging out with my daughter and it's like, Hey, let's watch, uh, let's watch some TV. She's like, okay, cool. And then, uh, you know, normally we'll watch some Disney show or something. I was like, let's watch a YouTube video on robotics. And so we watched like it, it basically like showed all the latest robot, like from, you know, stuff in Japan or like our agricultural robots in industrial Tesla, like to like also, it just, it just is like a compilation of all the different robots and stuff. And, uh, it was, it was so cool, man. It's like, it's, uh, it's crazy. All the stuff that's out there. But, um, actually it was the first time my daughter saw Elon Musk. Cause I'm always talking to her about Elon Musk and all the stuff he does. And she's like, she's like annoyed by it. You know, she's like tired of hearing about it. And then she saw a picture of him and she was like, um, she was like, Oh, that's what he looks like. I thought he was like an old guy. And I go, you've never actually seen him. And she's like, no. And I was like, Oh yeah, that's, that's him. But, uh, Oh, I think I lost your audio. Sorry, sit. You still there? Oh, yeah. Can oh, you hear me? there we go. Yeah, yeah, you're back. I said it's <laughs> kind of like Bill Gates as we were growing up, right? Yeah, 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 exactly. <sighs> um, but anyway, but, but so um, what's the uh, what's the AI stuff that you're that you're getting into? You're you're doing a lot of uh, TensorFlow stuff? Done some TensorFlow stuff. Uh, a lot of the Python libraries are pretty mature for data science and mathematics. I've learned a lot of linear algebra. Um, you know, learned a lot about quantum computing, which is you know still a baby, but I think kind of yeah. the next big computing revolution, right? Is mm -hmm. quantum. Um, I'm really excited to see Mac, you know, reclaim their CPU production and you know build out their own GPUs and machine learning cores. Mm -hmm. um, I think we're just seeing this massive transition in hardware capability, you know, in software revolution that's kind of aligning to where we're going in the future. Mm -hmm. I don't think I was. What's the deal with Apple? They're they're making they're making um, GPUs and machine learning uh, chips. Yeah, so they got rid of um, Intel as their chip supplier. 
two, over a two-year transition, they're moving to their own silicon again. And it, it's really intentionally designed. Like know, the M1? So can, like the M1 chip? Yeah, like the M1, oh. M1 Pro, and M1 Max. It was just announced. You know, the new MacBook Pros um, run like 32-core GPUs on the high end, which is mm-hmm. really cool, plus a 16-core machine learning processor. Mm-hmm. Um, so they're just, you know, they're optimizing kind of operating systems and hardware towards, you know, some of the things that I think programming is going to be able to do in the near future, especially mm-hmm. as quantum comes online and you can really run experiments a little bit uh, large scale and faster. Like the GPT-3 engine, for instance, you know, it took something like 39 days to train on the data set and 100,000 mm-hmm. uh, parallel racked, you know, GPUs. And I think with quantum, we're going to see that kind of training and processing time and real-time analysis shrink, you know, massively. Wow. That's crazy. Yeah. GPT-3 is nuts, dude. I haven't really played cool. with it in a while. Um, it, it's going to be, um, one of the things I was thinking about is like, um, you're going to have pretty soon a tool with like language to where I can do a voice filter that's, let's say, like your voice. And then I can say whatever, whatever I want to say, and it'll just create it in your voice. Or that, does that, that already exists, right? Yeah, I think that already exists. Okay. Um, I think it's frowned upon to do it, you know, publicly. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so you could already do that if you wanted to. Dude, I saw this thing. Um, it was um, one of these things where it, it takes a still photo as an input. And then it renders a 360 degree video of the thing. Totally. Have you you seen these things? I've seen it. Yeah. It's pretty, it's pretty cool. Yeah. It's like, like, you know, 2d to 3d is really cool. 2d, 3d. Yeah. That's nuts. And you know, I think a lot of what we see with AI right now is around image application, image processing, image recognition. Right. Um, especially in the medical space, that's prime. But I, I think there's even bigger plays for AI as it, as it starts to mature a little bit more. Okay. What are the bigger plays? <laughs> uh, well, it, you know, in business especially, I think <laughs> there's a lot of stuff that AI can do to, you know, work in the context of ERP systems and commerce systems and HR systems uh, to really improve you know, directional and organizational competencies for companies. Um, even in sales, you know, I don't know if you saw, but Adobe just announced a Sensei release of, you know, product categorization oh, okay. uh, for B2B, uh, you know, product positioning. So that's like really interesting. And I think there's just going to be more and more of that across supply chains and manufacturing and uh, a lot of places that AI is still kind of new to, right? For yeah. automation. Right, yeah. right. So, so, um, so the sensei thing, it like automatically generates, uh, categories for, for products basically, or more like positions, products and categories. Um, it's, you know, especially focused on B2B, but available for B2C users and mm-hmm. with B2B, uh, you know, they can even use stuff like pricing, uh, to uh-huh. help with product position on an account by account basis. So that's, that's really cool. And I, okay. you know, I've been talking about doing that with Magento for like, eight or nine years. And uh-huh. there's been a couple kind of intelligent, you know, category and product management uh, tools out there over the years. But I think it's cool to see this kind of go to the next level and be That's part cool. of core. Yeah. yeah. How, so 
it basically it basically sorts products within a category um, based and and it, and it optimizes them in some way to to drive sales is, is the idea. Yeah, to drive sales, or even you know, you may have uh, some wholesaler that you're selling to, and uh, they come back and order the same stuff over and over, or uh, you know, maybe interested in a new product, and you get a lot of opportunity to deal with kind of the pricing and, and positioning to help um, just optimize the experience and preference mm. matching for the consumer. So I think I think it's really powerful for commerce, uh, and especially B two C side. I can't tell you how many companies over the years spent uh, a lot of man hours trying to figure out, you know, just their product positioning uh, on site and line it up with marketing and have teams make decisions about it, you know, mm. but without the ability to fully understand the data that exists in their system, you know, that could help inform and drive those decisions. Mm hmm. Hmm. Uh, yeah. I, I mean, I'm curious how it like how it does it or or I mean. Um, I don't know, like what, what makes it unique, the way that it sorts the products. I, it, yeah. It, uh, I wish I could look under that hood. I'm not sure how they've built yeah. it out. <laughs> that's interesting. Um, ah, that's cool. Yeah. Sensei seems like a pretty power. I wish I knew more about it. It seems like it does. It seems like a pretty, pretty powerful tool. I think it's, I think it's like most of the AI engines. Like if you look at, you know, Google Circ and TensorFlow and, you know, all the other things out there, uh, they're kind of like at the SDK level of software evolution. They're not quite at the, you know, framework and platform level. They'd like to think they are, but when you look right. at it from, you know, software development standpoint, it's still early. Um, but you know, a lot of them have similar kind of algorithms and neural network and, you know, data crunching capabilities. There's different implementations and tuning, but a lot of them work with the same kind of models and, and math. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's, it's, it, it's true. It's a good analogy. It's very much at the, like at the, uh, at the SDK level. It's like there's tools that you can use to build things out, but, but, um, there, but the applications are. Um, I feel like when you get an application that actually works within the realm of AI, it immediately just pops. Like you, you can talk about all these applications all day long, like this category sorting thing. But like when you get something that, that truly is like, uh, like a, like a, a true improvement improvement in functionality like gpt3 um yeah. it just it's immediately recognizable and then like the internet goes crazy about it um or like deep fake videos like um when certain things um certain a ai functionality like comes to exist it's immediately recognizable that it's just like 10 X better than whatever existed before. It's just magic. It's just like absolute magic, you know? And, and before that point, it's like, there's a lot of discussion around like, Oh yeah, this is a, this is a cool feature. Or this uses AI. Like every, everybody says they're using AI for everything, you know, like every, you know, it's, it's like the, every, every new app these days is like AI based, you know, at least in, in theory, but, 
Yeah, I, I really like what Apple did um, opening up some of the machine learning libraries for TensorFlow, mm-hmm. especially on uh, Swift and Xcode. I played around with that quite a bit. It's a lot of it's image recognition, um, but there's a lot of powerful things you can tap into on the iPhone, iPad, the device level mm-hmm. that you know give you some AI functionality in some you know some application context, and that's really cool. Nice. But I think if you think about, I was talking with my cousin yesterday, and we were talking about you know a doctor may treat or a surgeon may have you know ten thousand patients that they perform surgery on in their lifetime in their career. If you can take that kind of knowledge and data into AI and have you know AI diagnose um, rare disease, right? Yeah. yeah. And feed it with you know several surgeons' levels of experience. All of a sudden, you've got this technology that can make decisions at a scale that somebody in a career basis couldn't, right? Yeah. And that's really interesting. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. for sure. Like the the like the um. What are the scans? What are those? What are those? Uh, what are those certain types of uh, scans that uh, the cancer detection or something like that that AI is really good at? Rate radi um, radiation. Uh, like a, a radiologist, like a mammogram yes. for breast cancer yes. detection. Yes, yeah. yes, exactly. Like radiologist type stuff. Um, that's a really strong application of AI, right? Totally. Yeah. But, you know, in the future, if we can figure out, like, the ethics and policies and, you know, privacy laws and everything else, you know, there's no reason that AI couldn't, you know, be ran against every blood panel that everybody takes uh, in the U.S. Mm-hmm. annually for their medicals, right? And have early detection for, you know, different things that people are at risk for, already experiencing, or, you know, potentially just help people tune their decisions that have influenced and affect their health, Right. Right, and I, th- I think when we get to that point, um, we're going to see some pretty big changes in, in medicine. Right, right. I just got to make it out to my to my uh, physical. I've been like, <laughs> I've been putting it off. I got to get some it ba- off. <laughs> I got to get some basic ass blood work done that I've been putting off for like months because I don't want to set up a stupid uh, online appointment. Um, <laughs> I'm so horrible with that stuff, man. Um, yeah, well, that's cool. Um, actually there's this dude, uh, Roman, uh, I can't remember his last name, but he's, he was in Magento for a long time and then he got into, uh, machine learning, uh, stuff recently. And, um, and, um, and I saw he posted recently that he built out, I believe it was, he built out a data set um, f- uh, with images to recognize, uh, paper, rock, scissors. Um, so it's like, a, so it's like a data set, I guess, of various pictures of, of, of those hand positions. And so that it can, so that you can use that data set to like, uh, build like a paper, rock, scissors type game, you know? Nice. Uh, yeah. Yeah. That was cool. Um, yeah, I had a, a buddy of mine who's a professional gambler, and he's like, he's won a lot of money in his career. Uh, and uh-huh. they used to always joke about this RPS.org site. It's a rock, paper, scissors site that's designed to teach you pattern recognition uh-huh. so that you, you map your opponent's pattern uh-huh. and know what to throw, throw to win after you recognize their patterns. I always okay. thought that was pretty cool. <laughs> it's funny because I swear, like with my kids, I can beat them like all the time, which I, 
I don't quite know why, because it should be it should be sort of random. But I swear I can I can destroy them all the time, like no contest. <laughs> you know. Do they, do they keep playing against you, or do they just kind of give up and don't want to play anymore? <laughs> they do. They'll, 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 well, they'll want to do probably five or six or seven. I mean, I'll beat them four nice. or five times in a row, you know? It's like I know what they're, like they're going to throw. I just know, you know? I guess it's some kind of pattern recognition. I don't know. Maybe you're sliding in at the end. <laughs> <laughs> I do that too. I do that too. <laughs> yeah, I do that too. That's funny. Um, yeah, man, the AI stuff is nuts. Um, self-driving cars. I want. I want to. Um, I want to get a Tesla. I still haven't gotten. I, I think I might rent a Tesla, and I want to. I want to see what the self-driving stuff feels like. Yeah, and then I think the the new comma came out in the past few months this summer. That's oh, did cool. it? Yeah. Comma, comma AI, right? Comma AI, you know, they make self-driving car yeah. technology yeah. and it's yeah. pretty easy to install on most modern cars. It's kind of cool. That's really cool. I remember when I heard about yeah. that, I have a friend that's super into that, that guy that built that geo, I think his name, G, I think they call him geo hot, something like that. George, yeah, I don't know what George, sure. Hots, Hots, I can't remember, but, um, anyways, yeah, he does like live streams and stuff, like live coding streams and all sorts of crazy stuff. Um, have you tried the comma? Have you tried that the comma comma AI thing? You know, I haven't. I've, I've been thinking about maybe doing that for Christmas. Nice, nice. I miss your your truck. So we hung out in Colorado recently, and I miss your uh, your truck's uh, sound system. That's so cool, <laughs> man. That was a that that. It's a beast of a sound system, dude. Um, I think it's just, you know, the stock sound system, but it sounded good. Yeah, it's pretty good. <laughs> <laughs> um, nice. Sweet, man. What else? What else? What else have we forgot to cover? I guess, I guess that's pretty, pretty much about, is that, is that about cover it? AI? I think we about Gento? covered it. Stuff. Yeah. I mean, more to come, you know, I don't want to talk about all the products I'm building right now, um, Okay. but TBD. I think there's a lot of opportunity and I'm sure, you know, people will hear about it soon. Yeah. Well, it'd be cool to see what you do next, man. I'm sure it's going to be a, uh, a big success. Um, we'll see, man. I can't tell you how many little website businesses I built early on that, um, could have worked, but you know, never got enough attention. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It's the name of the game. Cool, man. Well, any, uh, any links you want to share for, uh, for viewers at home, any, um, particular, uh, places people should follow you? Um, yeah, I mean, you can connect with me on LinkedIn. I'd be happy to share some, you know, AI learning resource links with you after the call. Maybe you can just put them up in the footnotes. Yep. Cool. Yep, will do. Um, by the way, LinkedIn, I have to say, man, LinkedIn is, I feel like we were talking a little bit about acquisitions and I feel like Microsoft does such a good job with their acquisitions like GitHub and LinkedIn are the two that come to mind. Like People use link. I mean, people have always made fun of LinkedIn as being like this place they can't stand to go because they're getting hit up by recruiters left and right, whatever. But 
it's really become a like a content based social network that people really use quite a yeah, bit. Yeah, and it, and it kind of stays professional, right? It doesn't yeah. have the you know all the complaints about some of the more yeah. um, professional uh, social media platforms out there yeah. that you see in the media a lot. <laughs> yeah, exactly. It has its kind of niche. It's 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 um, it's it has a clear kind of use case. Everybody uses it these days. Um, and um, I don't know, man. I see them iterating on little features. Like they added this little video feature where you can add like a 30-second video clip of yourself. And then if you're looking at somebody's profile page, it'll show you a quick clip of the video within their avatar. It's just these little finesse features that I, that I notice. Um, some parts of it are, are still a little bit clunky, but... Um, I don't know, man. And then GitHub, I think Microsoft has done, is doing an amazing job. I mean, they made, you know, private repos free. There's, um, there's all sorts of cool functionality. There's that, um, autopilot, the autopilot feature. Have you seen that at all? No, I don't know. It's like, I think it's GitHub autopilot where it basically, it's an, it's an AI based engine. Oh, this is the code writing system. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. It's like, it's interesting. It's super interesting. Um, my buddy was telling me about, um, GitHub actions, um, which basically like lets you do automatic deployments or automatic stuff. Um, I think that's also free. It's just, I think they do. I think Microsoft does a really good job with, uh, with their acquisitions. I think they've done better than, than, you know, like Skype and some of their past acquisitions. I'm really interested to see how Slack plays out, you know, integrating with Salesforce. Right. It's going to be really cool. Right. That is going to be interesting to see. Cause that one's, that one seems a little funny. you like, you, you think Salesforce and Slack and it just like, it does, it, it seems a little off. Something seems, it just seems a bit unusual. Like, at least for me, I think it's, it's for me. It's hard to envision what kind of workflows you know might somebody who's at an employer um, go through on Slack and how it backs into Salesforce. I think the advantage that I see for Slack um, going into Salesforce is providing a message bus system that's incredibly scalable and robust. Mm-hmm. I think as Salesforce ties their technologies together more and more, you know they really need. Um, an optimized way to, to handle that message bus at scale. So, you know, I think it'll be interesting to see where they pull Slack technology into their overall platform and how Slack fits into, you know, workflow behavior and kind of the day-to-day practice that yeah. people who are running on Salesforce systems, um, go through for their workflows. Yeah. Now that, now that yeah. you've exited your last company, do you use Slack yourself anymore? You know, I um, I got a new laptop and I haven't logged into Maid's Chat since. I apologize. Um, so nice. no, I have not used Slack at all. You're uh, free. Lately. You're free from Slack. <laughs> yeah. Because mo- I mean, most people. I actually don't use Slack very much myself, but um, but most uh, you know, most people that work in tech are just into bajillion Slack chats, and it's just. I used con- to be, man. It's just constant. Yeah. I mean, we used to, to pull our clients into Slack. And, oh, yeah. You know, set, yeah. set up Slack for our clients. I mean, I can't tell you how many companies we influenced some of the um, 
technologies that their teams used and practices over the years. And Slack was like, you know, always one of them. If they hadn't used it before, they, they for sure used yeah. it after working with us. Yeah. Yeah. Do you have any tips? I know we were getting ready to close it out now. Now I'm thinking of more questions to ask, but cool. you, you, you mentioned, um, you know, working with clients and I think that you, you did a great job of, of, uh, managing clients in addition to, you know, building out your dev team, like for any agency owners that are, that are watching, like what, what tips would you give on, I know it's a very general question, but like what, what tips would you give on managing clients, managing scope, keeping clients happy, like keeping things going in the right direction? How, like other than being a unicorn that magically knows how to do it all, um, <laughs> what like well that took a took a lot of experience uh, yeah and i don't know at all but yeah. for sure i would recommend um distributed redundant responsibilities in your roles okay you know i i see a lot of um a lot of companies i mean you look at like ibm in the 1990s right you know and i grew up in boulder so ibm's uh software consulting was a really really large professional segment of our community and you know, you saw the way that they did things, which maybe made sense at the time, but, you know, since we've, we've gotten better practices and you have some of these old companies that are very hierarchical, um, and you end up with, you know, single points of failure or bottlenecks, right? And mm -hmm. when you try to centralize and you do it for the right reasons, because you're trying to, um, optimize somebody for that responsibility or role. Yeah. But oftentimes in software development, um, you know, cross training and cross functional roles and responsibilities, really empower our primary roles and responsibilities. They make us more competent. And, you know, so for us, I always really encouraged our, um, you know, our client engagement teams to do some of the things that maybe another company looks to a distinct role, you know, like resourcing or account management um, for. And I found that, that that level of distributed responsibility meant that as somebody new that came in, uh, they could learn those responsibilities. So it was much easier and less risky, you know, to lose somebody than having somebody, you know, who holds all the keys and practices and then somebody new come in and try to figure out what job they're taking over. Right. And then like, um, and, uh, and then like, uh, ironically, or, or like, ironically, like the, the reducing the risk of losing somebody allowed you to keep your team happier, I guess, and maybe have a, lo a lower level of, of stress um, to where they ended up not wanting to leave as often. Um, yeah. You know, and you've got to enroll buy-in too, right? Like teams function better when they own what they're working on. Um, mm. and that's across industries and verticals when people are engaged and invested and, own, uh -huh. you know, some part of it. Yeah. Um, it's really powerful. So yeah. I think we, we did a good job of staying out of some of it, you know, checking in for sure, mm. influencing, encouraging, um, playing sounding board and counselor, but ultimately, you know, I wanted the teams that had to do the work to define the processes. Um, for sure, you know, they started off heavily influenced by me. Yeah. Um, but after that, you know, it took a life of its own. It iterated. I mean, it's you're constantly pivoting in tech, right? Because everything's changing around you all the time. <laughs> right. Totally. Yeah. So, like, yeah. So, like, you're talking about redundant responsibilities, and like, I remember. Of course, I didn't know everything about, you know, exactly how Mediotype functioned, but I feel like you didn't have a ton of project managers. Um, 
you had like every single hire was like a full stack developer. Like I remember one time you wanted to hire like a front end developer and it was like super complicated because basically your entire team were, could all basically do everything. Um, you didn't have like super specialized roles, right? You know, I think my background coming out of, um, playing around with technology, you know, when Gopher was like popular and mm. looking at, you know, Stanford's core sets and Gopher and Telnet, mm. um, you, you build Linux servers and you build these core low level technologies over and over and over, you know, and learn and understand some of those problems. So for me, you know, as I grew as a developer and engineer working with Adobe flex and electronic hospital records and financial reporting tools, um, and ultimately in e-commerce, it, it just made sense that, um, I would become more competent writing front end code. If I understood the services and backend data structures, um, yeah. So I found that for an engineer to really grow, uh, it's best that they have some domain knowledge that's general. Even if you know the primary focus of their effort is is on like writing new JavaScript components or something that's front end, um, to have a really comprehensive uh, empathy or understanding of the other side of the equation, yeah. I think ultimately just leads to to more powerful and quality work. Right. Yeah. I, I mean, I think so. And I always thought, like, I always had this, like, I always imagined if I ever did an agency, which I never would, like, the way that I would sort of do it. Because you run into so many complications, right, where you've got, like, the QA person, the back end, the, full, the front end, the PM, the, you know, you got all these people, and then you have this coordination problem. And then it's like, I've just seen it so many times, things get kind of gummed up and slow down. Um, but then like, if you just like have a lot of, you know, and then also it, 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 it makes it easier to hire cause you know, the type of thing you're hiring for. Um, so I, it just, it, it always, it just made sense to me that sort of a, that sort of a structure. Um, yeah, you know, and larger projects can require, I mean, the first project I did back in like 2009, um, had maybe 27 people working on different technologies and layers of it. I mean, we had infrastructure, yeah. we had, you know, database, we had, um, tertiary systems that were really important and served, you know, lots of people's jobs. And it was, it was just really interesting to see, um, the need for, for stuff like QA early on and how it could, you know, benefit something that, you know, mm -hmm. that being said, not all of the clients out there understand, you know, the cost of it, the importance of it, nor are they, you know at a stage where they really want to fund it. So eventually you work with bigger clients that can fund some of those distinct roles and you want, you know, everybody on a project team to be um, cohesive and communicative together and effective. Um, you know, so you, you build those competencies later, but I would say for sure the core of our agency was extremely good engineering. Yeah. Totally. Yeah. Joel Hart, good catching up with you, man. And, yeah, uh, good to talk to you, bro. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, dude. We Love liked... the new studio. <laughs> Thanks, bud. We've like spent so many hours talking in person and stuff like that, and this is our our first uh, podcast together here. So good times. Thanks, um, bro. Yeah, I'll catch Thanks. you later. Thanks, Ed. Thanks everybody for tuning in, and we'll see you next time. Later, guys.